You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to the 42 Cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. As always, I'm your host, Nathan, and we have another great episode lined up for you where we're going to talk about Star Trek Discovery Season 2. So, how are things going for everybody? I hope everybody's doing okay. My kids are back in school, which is a little bit worrisome. I mean, there's a mask mandate, so it's not like we're sending them back to school with nothing. And the schools seem to be handling things pretty well, at least here in Wisconsin. The classroom population sizes are pretty small in the first place, and quite a few parents have pulled their kids out of school, and so I think that the risk is somewhat minimal, but it's also allowed me to become a little more productive in my time, being at home by myself all the time now, so even with work, I'm able to get some other things done, so uh, that's been helpful to me. I don't have too much else to report. This introduction's being pre-recorded several weeks before it's going to air, so I don't want to say too much. I will say that when this goes live, a friend of mine, Sean Rosado, is doing his very own virtual con that he's calling Pop Pop Con Con. Why he's calling it that, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like Oliver Queen, whenever people would say things like metahumans or arrow caves, and he'd just be like, we're not calling it that, but... <laughs> I have no say over what Sean calls his con, but anyway, the point of it is he's doing, I don't know, like 20-something panels over the weekend of, I believe it's October 16th through 18th, and so uh, on that weekend, I will be doing uh, several panels, so it should be a lot of fun. And what I'll do is I'll make sure and post a link on the 42Cast Facebook page. And if I can get some sort of a link or something in the meantime, I'll make sure to put it in one of these intros or outros to one of the episodes before they go live. But one of the things that I will be discussing is new Star Trek, which is what this episode is about. So there you go. But uh, I don't want to talk for too long because, you know, this is supposed to be a Star Trek Discovery season. Season 2 episode. Uh, so without further ado, here is the podcast already in progress. She's my unofficial co-host for these Star Trek podcast episodes. Uh, she is a cosplayer and a long, long time geek. And that is my buddy, Stephanie. How are you doing, Stephanie? Hello, I'm doing okay. I'm amused that you always un- introduce me as a cosplayer since I rarely do it anymore. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, you were still cosplaying. I don't know. Am I am I, am I misremembering? Because it seems like, you know, even just a couple of years ago, you were still posting pictures of cosplays and stuff. Well, I usually do one new costume a year, but I don't think that's happening this year. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, w- once you said that, I realized, like, wait a minute, this year I don't think I've seen anything. But yeah, I, I mean... I first met you in a Princess Serenity costume, so, you know, it kind of sticks yeah, with Yeah, that was, what, 14, 15 years ago? <laughs> oh, God, don't say that. 
<laughs> Don't say that. It doesn't feel anywhere near like it was that long ago. I was still a teenager. <laughs> I, I know. Yeah. Barely, but I was. <laughs> yeah. Nope, I'm, I'm aware. So, uh, so, yeah, what's been going on for you? It's been a while since we've had you on. Not really. Uh, not too much. Um, life is life. I have officially completed three novels. And then I started my fourth, mm. but my fourth is probably going to be stuck on chapter one through the end of the year because suddenly for the first time in a long time, there's like a ton of video games coming out all at once, ah. all that I'm interested in. So, gotcha. yeah. Okay. All right. Well, you know, that's, you know, as long as you're enjoying yourself, that's what really, that's what's really important, right? Exactly. And I finally got an actual edited copy back of my first one. Mm -hmm. So I am going through and making the time to make the edit since that's a lot less time consuming when I'm not the one who originally made the edits. I just need to go and correct things Yeah. Um, as well as a lot less time consuming as writing from scratch. So that's something I can do when I start like, you know, getting carpal tunnel from playing games and need to take a break mm -hmm. <laughs> yep oh, cool just deal. spend all day staring at a screen why right. not <laughs> yeah yeah well i mean congratulations though on making it this far because i mean you know you, you've gone farther than i ever have so you know <laughs> i've written almost well three novels all of which have been around 300 pages each and there's also a whole bunch of other stuff that I've already written that goes into parts that I haven't quite written to yet. So somehow in the last like year and a half, two years, I've written about a thousand pages and I can't remember how many words approximately that is, but it's a lot. And yeah. I don't know where this suddenly came from, <laughs> but I'm not going to argue because I really enjoy it. Well, good, good. No, that's great. I, yeah, the life and the job and everything has kept me from writing like I used Because I used to, even though I didn't write, you know, novels or anything, I used to at least keep regular in my writing by being part of a text-based RPG that I wrote with friends. So, you know, that kept me creative. Mm -hmm. And now it's like I wrote a short story two or three years ago, and that's probably the last time I've really written anything of any significant length. So. Well, now that I have this edited copy back, as soon as I finish uh, making the changes that I agree with, um, I'm going to start trying to find either an agent or a publisher again. Hmm. So I put that on hold when I sent this copy off to be edited, basically. That way the work wasn't done for nothing. <laughs> right, no. Well, no. Potentially nothing. All right. Well, yeah. No, keep us posted as you do. But uh, yeah, that's awesome. Okay, it's good to have you back on the show, Stephanie. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Next up, he is a fan of superheroes. He is a fan of British television, and if you meet him, he might tell you that manners maketh man. And that is my buddy Anthony. How are you doing, Anthony? Hey, Nathan. I'm doing well, thank you. How are you tonight? I am doing fine. Thank you for asking. Excellent. So, Anthony, it has been a long time since you've been on the show. Um, so what have you been up to? Well, uh, aside from, you know, the real life things of work and, 
you know, trying to actually make enough money to stay alive. Right. Um, I've been busy with uh, the Watchers in the Fourth Dimension podcast, which is uh, the Doctor Who podcast, of which I am one of the co-hosts. Uh, we are watching our way through the entire show in order. We have just reached the end of the second season in the Hartnell era. Um, and beyond that, uh, just generally uh, having a nerdy time of things. It was uh, wonderful to bump into you at DragonCon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, but, I, it was it was good meeting you, and thank you for directing me to where I needed to go. Of course. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, so, Anthony, that's one of the things, though, uh, you know, I, I wanted to, to talk with you about. So what was your DragonCon experience like? It was a lot of fun this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent... I managed to actually get a new cosplay in this year, so I spent a couple of days wandering around as uh, a Xerophile from Good Omens. Mm. Uh, my best friend was uh, cosplaying Crowley, so between us, we were just about the only male pair of a Xerophile and Crowley around. Uh, that was apparently a very popular crossplay this year. Mm. So that that was rather fun. Um, beyond that, I was on a, a number of panels. The the standard British culture ones, things like uh, Curse Like a Brit and Drunk British History, which were, I think, I, I'll be honest, I don't remember too well, but like, <laughs> they, they were fairly uh, entertaining and fun. I seem to... I seem to recall uh, loudly proclaiming that King Richard III was the best monarch who ever lived and uh, <laughs> and that he was a victim of the Tudor propaganda machine. But, um, okay. Probably best not to dwell on that uh, at this point. <laughs> yeah, it was funny because I was like, oh, I got some panels on the Brit track, so maybe we'll run into each other. But no, no. Sadly I, I, not. Yeah, I had um, Big Finish, um, Orphan Black, and... Um, What's my other one? Oh yeah, Doctor Who Bingo. <laughs> yeah, I was I was on the classic Doctor Who panel, so I think we uh we just missed each other on the Doctor Who panels. Yep, yep, no. But uh, but yeah, it was good running into you. And and so for anyone who's listening to this that doesn't know what DragonCon is, I asked Ryan last time, but Anthony, how would you describe DragonCon to somebody who's never been? I mean, I think the simplest way of putting it is it's nerdy gras. It is a, I think at this point, it officially starts on the Thursday and runs through to Monday. So it's a five-day convention of almost, to some level, depending on which corners of the con you look at, debauchery. In in others, it's fairly civilized. And it's, I, I believe it's the largest fan-run convention in the USA, as opposed to Comic-Con. I believe that's correct. Comic-Con being the largest industry-run. Um so it's so hard to distill it down into a few words um mm. i i it's ridiculous basically <laughs> that's a great tagline dragon con it's ridiculous I, I mean it's a lot of fun but it's you know i take a few days off work but at the end i feel like i need a vacation yeah no it's definitely not a relaxing <laughs> no. Experience. <laughs> yeah. Not at all. Especially if you're crazy like me and and have your schedule so that you're just going from panel to panel all day for four days. Yeah, your panel list was quite um, impressive. <laughs> it was fun though. It was. Uh, I did enjoy doing that. But uh, yeah, probably not next time I go. I I think I'm going to uh, keep it fewer. 
because that was a bit uh, hectic. I can believe it. Yeah, but uh, it's good to have you back on the show, Anthony. It's great to be back. Thank you for having me. All right, you're welcome. And finally, we have one of the track directors from Dragon Con. He is one half of the American Sci-Fi Classics track, and that is Joe Crow. So how are you doing, Joe? I'm great, as always. Oh, good. Good. So so how are you recovering from Dragon Con, Joe? Conveniently, I've got the crud, the con- convention crud, before Dragon Con. Mm. So I've knocked it, out, knocked it out, now I'm done. Oh, good. Either that or you were patient zero. Yes, I was. Maybe maybe me having the pre-con, maybe that I'm I'm what got everybody else sick. That's possible. So uh so yeah, Joe, uh um what how how was your con experience this year? Uh really good, really f- a blur. Mm. It all of a sudden was Monday and I did a lot of fun things and then I realized today's the last day like literally I did not slow down <laughs> until Monday. Mm. Um, I got there on Friday and it was just one thing, then the next thing, then I had to do this other thing. And I was running from hotel to hotel and it, but it was good. I mean, I, this is not a complaint. Um, mm-hmm. it was, it was awesome. Uh, I think I got to see, uh, you for like three minutes. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, I was the sci-fi court. You were there the whole time for that one. I know. Okay. 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 So then that counts as a, as a full, Sight. I, I saw right. you for a whole panel. Okay, That's good. right. <laughs> yeah, and uh, were you were you around for the Bill and Ted one? I was not. Oh, okay. I was. I think that was when I was moderating a panel with um, Billy from Gremlins, Zach Galligan. Mm. I think that's that's I, at least I kept it in the same decade. No, I didn't. <laughs> Bill and Ted was in the nineties. <laughs> no, it's eighties, late eighties. All right, all right, all right. 89. Okay. Yeah, all right. Yep. All right, yeah. Mercy. But um <laughs> but I am so glad to be online with you guys. I only found out about this just a few minutes ago, but I'm ready to go. <laughs> all right. Yeah. So uh we had someone else drop out and Joe at the last minute was uh thankfully uh able to join us uh for this one. But uh before we dive into the topic, we're gonna pause for a promo from another fine podcast. I'm Drew Leiter. And I'm Cletus Jacobs. And we're here on the station surviving the coronavirus. Since you guys are probably quarantined there down on Earth, we'll let you know uh, we got DC news, comics, television shows we're going to be talking about every week. Come join us every week on the Earth Station DCU podcast here on the ESO Network. And we're back. And like we talked about at the top of the show, we're going to talk about season two of Star Trek Discovery. And uh, interestingly, Stephanie's the only person that has talked about Star Trek Discovery before on the podcast. So I wanted to ask um, 
Joe and Anthony, how you felt about Star Trek Discovery before the season started. So I know the first season was kind of controversial, first because it was, you know, on CBS All Access, but also a lot of people who did watch it, you know, complained about aspects of it. So just heading into this season, what were your thoughts about Star Trek Discovery? So, so why don't we start with you, Joe? Well, I was all in going into season two. I, I don't really know that I, I had major issues with with season one because it uh, the Klingon stuff got a little much there kind of toward the end. But I, I dealt with it. I dealt with it, and uh, it was still very Klingony. It was uh, it was it was hard to get used to their appearance. But that's just me. That's just a personal hang up, I think. But. Um, no, I dug. I dug the first season. I um, uh, they I, I I the the one thing they did, and we'll we'll get into this, I'm sure. But the one thing that I wanted them to do in season two, having seen season one, was to tell us more about the bridge crew. Mm-hmm. And then in season two, they didn't really do that. But anyway. Yeah, that was my season one experience. Yeah, no, I hear you on that one. And uh, and yeah, I realize I should actually back up a little bit. I'm kind of a little out of sorts because I've been rushing around today. Um, So, Joe, what is your Star Trek background? Oh, I saw the original in reruns and then I watched Next Generation and then I dabbled in Deep Space Nine and then I... uh, Let's see. I watched Enterprise only for the theme song. <laughs> <laughs> Valid. Why? <laughs> no, Me I think so. there's some trolling going on there. <laughs> I sure hope so. <laughs> no, I decided that since everyone else hated it, that I would like it. And so I did. It um, got better in season three. <laughs> it wasn't a song then. It wasn't the Rod Stewart song uh, or Rod Stewart-ish song. Uh, and but but the show actually did get better in season three because yeah, it really they, they they went into Star Trek history, which was very cool. Mm. And but I did not see because our weird local channels didn't have it. Didn't have that 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 channel. Um, I didn't see Voyager. At all mm. until recently, in fact, when when I got CBS All Access on Amazon Prime, I heard all about it from all my friends screaming, <laughs> but I, I saw none of it when it was on live. Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, um, yeah, my Voyager. Yeah, I I, had, I didn't watch Voyager as it aired either because we didn't have a UPN station where I lived, but uh, I did I did see it, you know, a while back. But yeah. Um, and Anthony, how about you? What is your uh, Star Trek background? So Star Trek The Next Generation aired on BBC Two in the UK. And I've been a Star Trek fan for almost as long as I've been a Doctor Who fan. Mm. I have a very, very early memory of watching a Next Generation episode with my mother. It must have been around 92-ish. And I became so fixated on star trek that when my father tried to show me star wars or told me he was going to show me star wars i insisted that there was no such thing as star wars and there was only star trek (laughs) as i grew past the age of about five i started to realize how wrong i was and how awesome star wars was before anyone decides to you know start flaming me on social media but 
I loved Star Trek from the first moment I saw it. And for a while in my early childhood, I, I actually preferred it to Doctor Who before I circled back around to my OG fandom. <laughs> That's actually kind of funny because um, for me, I experienced Star Trek first. That was the original series in, in reruns. Um, and it was my favorite television show when I was very young. But as soon as I saw Doctor Who, that quickly replaced Star Trek yeah. as my favorite show and has been ever since. And and for me, as soon as I saw Deep Space Nine, I mean, that became my favorite Star Trek series. Um, I think I like Star Trek when it's a little darker mm -hmm. of the movies. I love The Wrath of Khan and, and The Undiscovered Country. Deep Space Nine, I, I really dug. And I've been really digging Discovery so far. Yeah. So, yeah, let's elaborate on that a little bit. How do you feel about season one, you know, heading into season two? So I, I think really having been raised on a diet of Doctor Who, I'm used to aesthetics being different and tonal shifts and slight retcons, nothing that radically rewrites the lore of the show. Mm -hmm. So having grown up with that in Doctor Who, I, I think what a lot of people complained about in terms of how they modified the Klingons or bringing in Michael Burnham as an adopted sister of Spock, none of that bothered me. Mm. For me, I was there for the story it was telling, and I enjoyed a slightly modern take on what was effectively a precursor to a classic era of Star Trek. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know, though. I still have a hard time with the Klingons, because just imagine one of those Klingons now uh, kissing Counselor Troy. <laughs> <laughs> Retcon yeah, morph in your mind to look like that, and then it starts getting a little weird. <laughs> and I think it's it's quite telling that they started to kind of scale that back. And you know, you, you look at screenshots of um, of the of the season one Klingons versus season two, and you realize they made some pretty significant changes between seasons, even even down to like the head shape. Mm. I actually saw a really interesting fan theory that I have accepted as a headcanon um, that is not actually playing upon the whole DS9 retcon of we don't talk about that followed by the Enterprise genetic manipulation stuff, mm. but rather that there's actually different uh, like races of Klingons. <laughs> And so we actually are seeing one particular group of Klingons that are actually different, but still the same overall species as the ones that we've seen elsewhere in the uh, franchise, which I thought was really kind of interesting and plausible theory that's actually um a really old theory that used to be the explanation people gave for why the movie klingons didn't look like the original series klingons and then well, enterprise brought it back for discovery right yeah but then enterprise of course made the official quote-unquote version that there was like genetic mutations and stuff but and, and yeah deep space nine really screwed up that theory when they brought you know right core and kang and, and oh that's true yeah and so on back <laughs> yeah, but uh, but yeah, um, yeah. I mean, but all joking aside about the look of the Klingons and, and how it's weird now thinking of Worf looking like that. My problem with the new makeup was that the actors had to struggle so much more to act 
in the new makeup where like yeah. you know before when you think of the klingons they're very powerful commanding pre- you know michael dorn you know and that klingon language was always very powerful you know and then like the new klingons sound like they're wheezing because their mouths have such a hard time moving with all that prosthetic around them so now klingon sounds more like you know and i like <laughs> it makes the klingon sounds like feel so much weaker because they don't they, they can't have that presence anymore either in their acting or in their voices because of all that junk all over their face so yeah i'm kind of happy that they're pulling they scaled back a little bit on that makeup because i think it was a hindrance um for practical reasons um but uh but yeah so let's start talking about season two here and you know of course we have that tease from the first season where uh we knew the enterprise was going to be involved in some fashion i was kind of surprised by how prominently the enterprise and its presence and its crew uh you know like were a through line through the season um but uh so we get uh captain pike number one spock how do you guys feel like they did with those characters? So, Stephanie, since we haven't talked with you yet, um, how do you feel about their depictions and, and the performances there? I absolutely loved Pike. Um, granted, he's nothing like the Pike that we have saw in um, The Cage, but... Mm. Or wait, that was The Cage, right? Yeah, that's The Cage, yeah. Okay. Or The Menagerie reason, was, the re, you know, was the retelling. Okay, I was for a moment there questioning, wait, which one is the actual premise uh, <laughs> or the actual premiere? Um, I, I just, I really liked Pike. I thought he did a great job. I found his um, his personality being the retcon for technology kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> and I did like, though, that they, they put him up in the makeup and everything to make him look like the Menagerie. Um, Pike and give him that glimpse into the future and mm. not entirely I, I was not entirely sold on Spock at first but I think he did a pretty good representation um, didn't dig the beard very much but hey that's your whatever. agonizer please <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I, I, I wish number one had had more of a part in it just as I still wish she had in TOS but mm-hmm. yeah it's kind of funny because last time we talked about how wouldn't it be interesting if number one became the new captain of the discovery mm-hmm. and, and that I think that would have been an interesting you know way to move forward uh, with it but uh, of course that wasn't the story that they wanted to tell nope unfortunately oh. so um, Anthony what did you think about um our, our original, original cast uh, that they moved into Discovery? You know, that that's an interesting question, because I think when you look back at the cage, certainly with, with Spock, there are some differences between how he is in the cage and then how he is in the rest of the original series. Mm-hmm. And I think what we see is, is the start of a journey that he eventually comes to through the cage and then into where no man has has gone before and, and into the rest of the original series. So we're, we're almost seeing like a, a proto spark. And I think if you look at the evolution of the character, it works. Mm-hmm. Likewise, Pike, like he's not quite as aloof, he, uh, aloof as he is in the cage. Right. So by then 
he's had the vision he knows i mean it's a total retcon but the way they present it he's had the vision of how he's going to effectively end his days in the chair with effectively being severely burned and crippled Mm -hmm. so you can kind of see where they're going with it and the the implication of that uh character development even if they don't show all of it so in general i thought it worked i would have liked to have seen more of number one Mm -hmm. you know it felt like they got a big name like rebecca romaine and she didn't have a lot of screen time i would have liked more of her yeah um, I'm, I'm going to put a pin in that and come back to it, but I want Joe's thoughts first on how did you feel about, uh, about the uh, depiction of the very original cast of Star Trek? I wanted them to do more of it, but then I remembered that it's Star Trek Discovery, not mm. Star Trek The Cage. But there was... Uh, Pike was awesome. Mm-hmm. I, 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 liked, I liked him a lot. I liked... I like that dude when he was on Inhumans, even. Right. It's funny, when I met him at Dragon Con, I told him, like, you know, I, I loved him in Inhumans. Like, Inhumans itself, I didn't really like that much, but I thought he did well in it. Yeah, yeah, he did. Uh, and um, he just kind of, it felt like he was just really digging being in a Star Trek uniform and doing all the Star Trek-y things. Yeah. Um, number one... I like I liked your your theory and didn't think about it until well, of course now that ship has sailed literally. Mm-hmm. Um, number one should have stayed on board Discovery, but because we've already seen, and I didn't know this, you know, at, until the uh, until the season progressed. But the part, the only part of original Star Trek that she was in was the Cage, and now that's already happened in. Mm-hmm. the discovery timeline so she could have boarded discovery and that would be why we never saw her again but instead they left her there to continue to do nothing <laughs> or to just go back into the archives where she and pike were um i don't know i dug all the pike stuff i liked them going back to the talos four i rewatched those those episodes before those discovery episodes came on. So they were fresh in my head mm. and it was, it was neat to see the, uh, go, the going back to Talos stuff. I, I like that. I liked a lot of it. Spock, not so much, but Pike more than made up. Yeah. For, it, I, f- I felt like the, the weird sweater Spock who smiled. That's really all there was of Spock in the, um, in in the in the cage um so there wasn't really a lot to work with or really a a lot that they had to do to make him that spock so eh but everything else i I was into yeah oh well he also had that line the women when you know only the women beam down when they're trying to do the away team (laughs) oh there was that (laughs) um but yeah, no, I, I, I kind of agree on the Spock thing because, you know, um, I, I wasn't feeling him that much. But to Anthony's point, I realized that 
you know, they kind of created this whole storyline around the idea that Spock was not in his right mind at this point anyway. So, you know, the fact that he was smiling in the cage and, you know, he wasn't necessarily the same character that we see in the later stuff, you know, it kind of works from, you know, a perspective of this is part of the storyline that they're trying to tell. And so I kind of, I kind of accepted that, but you know, this is one of those things. It's just like how I have a hard time accepting James Frain as Sarek is because, you know, Spock is such an important character to me and Leonard Nimoy you know, portrayed him for so long that, you know, it's hard for somebody else to come in and do that in the same way that I have a hard time with someone other than Mark Leonard playing Sarek because I so strongly associate Mark Leonard with the character. Um, whereas it's a lot easier for me to accept a new Pike and a new under n- number one because they're only in one story, like really. Two sets, yeah. Right, uh, exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I actually really liked um, Pike. Um, I thought that Anson Mount did a good job of of being like the you know of basically emulating what Jeffrey Hunter was doing with the role. That's 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 kind of the feeling that I had with it. I also like that from a writing perspective, and I kind of want you guys' take on this. One of the things I didn't like about season one of Discovery, and I don't know if, if you any of you were aware of this, was that they very heavy-handedly say that they couldn't have any mention of God in season one of Discovery. In fact, when uh, Lorca said something like, you know, by God or whatever, they made him redo the take. Yeah. You know, because they, they, they were like, no, there can't be any reference to God at all, which is so anti-Star Trek in my mind, because Star Trek always delved into religion and religious beliefs, and that was always part of the philosophy of Star Trek, was to examine those things in different contexts and whatnot. And so the fact that, while they didn't establish whether Pike himself was a religious person, that actually his father was a religious person, and having him comment on it and actually knowing like some Bible verses and things like that, I thought was really cool because I think in the cage, he also does that. I think he, he I'd have to go back and rewatch it, but I think that he does like, you know, come off as someone who is at least somewhat um, familiar with religion in the cage. So I kind of liked that. I liked that they were bringing that back into it. Of course, they have a new showrunner now and everything. So, um, just, so, so, yeah, just out of curiosity for you guys, um, Anthony, I heard you saying something while I was talking there. What, what do you think about them, you know, allowing that sort of religious commentary back into Star Trek? I mean, from my perspective, it's something that's always been there, whether it's in, you know, <coughs> Star Trek V, I think, is probably the most overt example of it, or, sure. of course, Deep Space Nine with the, the Bajorans and their their profits but i think it 100 percent has a place in star trek and i'm i'm like you i'm glad they they brought it back mm-hmm. um as an element I, I think to completely say we don't do religion is you know uh, star trek for me has always been a very kind of philosophical show and so to take that element away almost takes a big part of the the philosophical dialogue out of the show so yeah i i I guess i in in short i agree and uh yeah stephanie or joe do either of you have any thoughts on that i mean i didn't notice it in the first season at all um but i remember i I think i remember us discussing it on the last podcast Mm -hmm. um 
And basically, it, it was either myself or someone else, but I still re- think of this when you bring it up again. Did the person never hear Bones talk? Right. Who, who made that original decision for season one? Like I said, it wasn't something I noticed at all being something that was or was not in the season. Mm. But once you pointed out it, that being a official decision that was made, seriously, had they never watched bones talk at all? (laughs) Yeah, it was a, it was an article I read before season one was released and it was a, you know, a, a journalist who was on set while they were recording and he was talking about how they, you know, they yelled cut, you know, when, when, uh, you know, Lorca gave some line. I can't remember what the exact line was and made him redo it. It's because they're like, no, this is the future. There's no God. There's no religion, whatever. And I'm just like, that does not seem like Star Trek at all. I think that speaks to a greater change within the series. I'm going to touch on a little bit more, but I did want your thoughts on that. Um, but I did want to come and give my own comment on number one a little bit. As much as I liked the idea of number one coming in as the captain and everything else, I have to say character-wise, she was the one that seemed the most different to me from how she was depicted in the cage. Because, like, in the cage they say she's basically, like, just like a computer, you know, and she's very matter-of-fact, very clipped. And Rebecca Romaine comes in there and is just basically smiling, laughing. You know, she's very much, you know, uh, seems very personable and everything. And I kind of, I kind of wanted, especially because I feel like they've kind of dropped the ball on Burnham also. Um, because this whole idea of like a human being raised to be logical like a Vulcan, I, I, I kind of liked that idea. But Burnham never really comes off to me, other than that she has a, a close relationship with Sarek. Um, you know, as being very much like, I don't see a lot of that. She was raised as a Vulcan, you know, side of Burnham. And I would have liked a character coming in that's, you know, more, you know, like that, you know, um, you know, more abrasive and a little more, you know, uh, logical like that. So I, 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 I was a little disappointed in, in their depiction of number one. Maybe they could have done more with her. She had a little more screen time. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I was, I was just a little bit disappointed with how she was played. I didn't even realize that clearly the effects of the, the cage scenario had an effect on her. Yeah, well, that's true. That's possible. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was not what I expected at all (laughs) when I was expecting number one to be there. Um, so let's talk a little bit then about, uh, sort of the general continuity kind of thing. You know, Anthony touched on a little bit when what with what he was talking about with season one. This season, though, there was definitely a marked effort to change some things about the series. Um, seemed like they were addressing a lot of the fan concerns with the show. You know, we mentioned the whole thing about, you know, allowing people to, to mention God and having some religious views and stuff like that. But... Um, you know, part of the, you know, beyond that, um, we see, you know, a lot more references to things from the original series. They stepped back a little bit with the Klingon makeup being so different. Um, so I'm just kind of curious what you guys felt about, you know, even things like pulling back a little bit on the holograms and whatnot, like the, the sort of effort to move things a little more to where they're consistent with the later series. Did you think that was important? Do you think they wasted time with that? You know, what, what was your sort of overall impression? Um, so Joe, why don't we start with you on this one? 
Well, they the spore drive was such a heavy part of season one mm-hmm. for them to reel that all the way back in was a noticeable change. But I mean, they explained it. Mm-hmm. They explained why, but um, why, why they did it, and and again, it. Uh, I don't know that you needed it throughout this season. They they but but they they did noticeably dial that way back, and I and I, I I'm anxious to hear you, you guys' takes on this. I don't think that being tied to regular Star Trek continuity should be a problem. I don't look at it like that. Mm-hmm. I looked at it like I was super excited for them to explore this time period because I wanted to see more of that time period. And I'm and I'm sure we'll get to this. I'm less excited about them leaving uh, uh, this 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 era of of Star Trek. Mm. But uh, I thought that the transition from season to season was pretty smooth and they didn't leave a lot hanging from season one. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to see Harry Mudd again. Uh, my, that would have been great. My theory on that, I don't know if you were able to watch the short tracks where they had like Mud and the Mud androids. My suspicion is that in season three, since we know they're moving into the future, that one of the Mud androids is still going to be around. Okay, yeah, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all for that. Yeah, because they've mentioned that his, that actor is going to be in season three, and that's the only way I can see that working. Ah, but no, I, I, I liked, um, I liked them being able to jump in and out of Star Trek continuity like, like they did. I, um, like you said, I wasn't super into the new guy playing Sarek. Mm-hmm. Now uh, the, 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 the new Amanda was great mm-hmm. I, I, I liked her a lot so yeah yeah I, I guess that that's on the topic that you're talking about that's that's what I got <laughs> sure now um Stephanie uh, I know that we've had some talks about continuity on this show so how do you how do you feel about them first sort of dialing things back a little bit on things that were sort of divergent from the original series and also um, uh, you know do you think that that's important that they do that? Well, there was one that really made me groan when it happened, which was, I hear Klingons are growing their hair back after the war. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. Um, that I, I appreciated that they were trying to uh, listen to fans and make it a little bit more towards uh, uh, what we're more familiar with with Star Trek. However, that line was just so... Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. I they probably could have addressed it in a less blatant way. Mm-hmm. That just that one just it still obviously bothers me. <laughs> um, and as soon as she, uh, as soon as she said that, in I don't even remember what episode it was. I just remember just groaning and rolling my eyes so hard when that line was said. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of already mentioned it when we were talking about the original originals coming back, how I thought it was kind of funny that Pike is like, none of this new shit works. Get rid of it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why we don't see um, voice commands on the uh, the turbo lifts for a while, why we don't see these holograms and stuff, because he kind of initiated getting them phased out. 
Yeah. I always wanted, or I wanted them to sort of link, you know, the fact that, you know, they basically have an intelligent computer virus to them trying to go back to an older style of tech that couldn't be, you know, uh, controlled like that. And Mm -hmm. I, I was disappointed that they never really went there for that. It was more of just, this is Pike's preference, and I would have liked something more to do with the whole storyline of the season if they were going to go that route of you know i'm gonna i'm gonna give my own two cents on this in a a second but that's 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 where i thought if they were going to do that that would have been the i I think a better route to have taken to for why it's universal to all starfleet because i mean pike oh yeah you know it it really would have made a lot more sense to go that route when they are dealing with the main premise of the season was a sentient computer virus and i was really kind of crossing my fingers here that it as much as it ticked me off when the borg ended up in enterprise (laughs) i was thinking it would have been a really interesting twist that this is somehow leading to the creation of the borg Mm -hmm. but i have to say that the way the season ended um, was actually how I predicted season one was going to end. So I was kind of excited when it did all of a sudden result in a time jump because that's what I figured would be the cause for why the spore drive is completely missing from the rest of lore. I was disappointed that I didn't make that claim on the last podcast <laughs> because I made it right after that episode aired. Um, we can, we can, we can I have fix no that. Proof. We can fix that. Right, yeah, we, we can add it. Yeah, we can add it into the podcast. Yeah, do this. Just have her make the claim, go back and add it to the... the we'll, we'll do our own spore drive retro continuity. <laughs> <laughs> like, actually, after season two ended, I sent a message to Nathan like, did I make this claim on the last podcast? Because, oh my gosh, this is totally what I, I thought it was going to end like. And then I'm like, oh crap, you haven't watched it yet, have you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, I didn't read your message because you texted right after that. Don't read this if you haven't seen it. So yeah, I was like, oh, I'm gonna skip that. Myself and like spammed him to make sure that if he hadn't seen it yet, <laughs> to not read what I just said. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so how important do you think it is that they try to maintain like like you know, a continuity? Because I mean, I think we have people on both ends of the spectrum on this. But what what are your thoughts? Like, how important is it? Like, no, the the original series did this, or it looked like this. It has to be that way. I mean, change has been a thing throughout all of Star Trek. Mm. So it, it really wasn't that important. I think it bothered me a bit more when the show first started and it was just, oh my God, this is new and it's so different. And why isn't this post-Voyager? Then none of these complaints would be had. <laughs> I really do think that the thing that bothered me most was just the same thing with you, the way the Klingons sound. Mm. They, they look more like a Stargate villain to me than a Klingon, but this season did definitely see them as a little bit more of a transitional between the Discovery Season 1 Klingons and the movies onward Klingons that we're kind of used to. Mm. But overall, once I started enjoying the premise of the show, all that stuff became a lot less important to me. Right. Like, I did not enjoy the premiere of discovery and so when it was just the premiere i i i did not like any of this and i thought it was such a tra- change and it was so bad and blah 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 
But then a few episodes in, I started liking the show and these things became a lot less important to me. And by season two, I appreciated that they were trying to make things a little bit more consistent. Um, and oh my gosh, I love the Discovery versions of the TOS uniforms. Mm. I am so mad <laughs> that those aren't what they're wearing on Discovery because those are beautiful. Yeah. Um, but that's the cosplayer in me talking. There were a lot of those at Dragon Con. I, I saw those. Oh, yeah. You know, I wore an actual OG original series uniform. I didn't see any others of those, but I saw a lot of the, you know, sort of new version of that from Discovery. Oh, I Where wanted to they? make an OG uniform forever. <laughs> I was just walking around, Joe. <laughs> I just saw them everywhere. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. I've wanted to make an OG uniform forever, but now I'm like, screw that. I don't want that anymore. I want a Discovery yeah. uh, style uniform for that era because I love that that design. That very. Uh, I don't think I've ever been so excited about a Starfleet uniform. Um, like that... they might even top out the red uniforms from the movies, which have been my favorite forever. Oh my gosh, Stephanie, you and I are on exactly the same page here because <laughs> those those Wrath of Khan era ones I always thought were gorgeous, mm. but these yeah, these new uh Enterprise USS Enterprise uniforms, oh my gosh, they're sleek, they're beautiful. Ugh. I want one okay. so badly. Me too. Yeah, the the movie, the the original series movie type uniforms, I always like because they actually look like real uniforms. They do. Um, but uh, yeah, if I was gonna do one from Discovery though, I like Mirror Universe Discovery uniforms. They they I think those are awesome. But uh, well, the Mirror yeah. Universe well, always <laughs> looks better. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the mirror universe does always look better. <laughs> right. It's Unless like they're we're in horrible. DS9 where the Terran Empire has fallen. But the 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 the, the, the Empire is awful, but they man can they make a uniform. <laughs> Yeah, the, the Empire has some great fashion designers. Right. Uh, so, so Anthony, what do you think about this whole cotton? I mean, I know you touched on it a little bit, but do you think that, you know, the changes they made in this season were important? Were they not important? Did they matter to you at all? So, I mean, this season, to me, felt very much like a course correct, mm -hmm. right? There was a lot of, we hear what you said about the first season, and here's our response. And... I didn't think it was really necessary. I mean, I think the complaints about the Klingons were valid. They did look a little too different. But beyond that, I mean, I I didn't hate what I saw in season one. Mm -hmm. um, I, I guess I'm glad that they did what they did because I really did enjoy season two. And I think correcting what they saw as their mistakes or what fandom told them were their mistakes was a big part of season two. Mm -hmm. um, and it did work, but I'm not sure it was that necessary to go as far as they did. I, I, I mean, I, I feel like the biggest complaint was that it was, they, they were imposing a modern aesthetic on a pre-original series era of Star Trek to a greater extent than they ever did with enterprise and that it, it didn't work and that they wanted that it should have been post Voyager. Well, now it is post Voyager. So right. everyone got their wish. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, the thing to me is this. So 
I have a couple thoughts on this. One is it's again it's it's a it's a design issue to me, but it speaks beyond that. So, um, first of all, I think going to Talos Four was completely unnecessary, and it was just for the fact of doing a reference, and that's not bad in and of itself. It's okay to have some fan wank in there, you know, from time to time, but. You know, it was the fact that the Telosians were clearly male and female that bothered me. Because the whole point of the Telosians is that they have so developed their minds that they're basically androgynous at this point. And that was something that kind of bothered me that they didn't keep that, you know, aesthetic with them. You know, that, that, you know, that they didn't have that, you know, as part of it. Because that was more like they didn't even understand what was... Gene Roddenberry's trying to do with that story, even though they were referencing it. Um, I mean, that's just someone not doing their homework on the production right. team. But again, it's just like yeah. with the Klingon thing. It's it's one of those little things that just niggles at me, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> of the design aesthetic. Whereas something like the Spore Drive is like, yeah, it bothers me, but you know, we can work around it. You know, this is why we are nuts. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Well, exactly. in the in the original. In the in the menagerie, um, it was like it was it was like treason that Spock was going back to Talos, and he was ta- and mm-hmm. because they didn't know why he was doing it. But now we can, now we find out that he went back before, like he can't stay away from Talos. Right. <laughs> Jeez, rain it that's... in. Right. Like he's just gonna go back to Talos all the time <laughs> i mean he's already been back once maybe we should you know keep a close eye on this guy <laughs> i guess he's gonna he's gonna man up oh, oh, he's going back to house again it's his preferred vacation spot at this point <laughs> let's be honest but remember section 31 has everyone you know promising on their honor to never mention anything about this ever again oh sure uh, yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. And, uh, and so that gets me to my other point is that i feel like if you've already made the retcon, pulling back can sometimes be more damaging. So some things, like something subtle that was never actually overtly stated, like the no God, no religion thing, that's fine to pull back on because it was never actually stated in the show that there's no religion, you know, in the future. But things like, you know, they've already got... The Klingon thing is an example of it. You've already made your design choices, you know. Uh, but also things like, okay, so we have this spore drive, and now the reason why it's never mentioned again or no one in other times where things are bad, like with other wars or with the Borg invading or anything that no one mentions a spore drive as a potential, you know, thing to use against them is because we, we've all promised on scouts honor, (laughs) you know, that we're never going to mention this thing again. And to me, that's even more, that's even harder to believe than the fact that we've just never heard about it just naturally. So basically what happened at the end of Discovery season two is they all zipped their lips and threw away the key. And then everyone who knew anything about it died over the course of the next few decades. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, they... well, Sarek survived well into next yeah, generation. Sarek, what, what happened to him? Maybe he's the reason. He's the only one that can keep a freaking secret. <laughs> I mean, they, they could have just done like a section 31 memory arrays or something you know yeah they should have like the men in black thing why didn't they do that they could have all had a men in black pen and just went poof on everybody (laughs) they haven't invented it yet (laughs) that'll be a little short episode for season three what's going on in the timeline before 
or, or while Discovery is off in the future. Yeah, but but so that's the thing. I feel like sometimes the course correction makes it even more jarring than the actual change. Because it's like once you've gotten me to accept the change, don't change it don't back. Don't change it. <laughs> yeah, don't. Right, like, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they really could have just left the spore drive as being abandoned technology because it was destroying the universe using it. Right. Well, that was what I thought that was going in that episode where they actually encountered the creatures that live in the yeah. mycelial network. And I thought, oh, it's going to be something like this thing is destroying the environment and that's why they abandoned using it. And that ended up not being the, you know, the... Uh, you know, the actual reason. And that was a perfectly acceptable reason. No, I, I completely agree. So, yeah, I mean, it was just one of those things that I, I, I feel both positive and negative about, you know, the changes that they were making. Because, you know, some things, you know, I feel like could, could change and other things I just felt like the, the it just felt like even like, you know, I mean, we talked about Pike and the Nohograms thing, but that still doesn't really explain it. Right. Because that only explains ships that Pike is on and not why everyone else stops using them. So, right. <laughs> and it is just weird that they had these perfect setups for these reasons mm -hmm. all throughout the season, but they didn't use them. Mm hmm. So, yep. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I, 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 and we talked about this last time. To me, I like for the continuity to be maintained, but I'm also really familiar with the source material. So, you know, it's not something that if you tell a good story is enough to, like, make me go, no, I'm not going to watch it because the Enterprise doesn't look exactly the same. You know, or something like that. You know, that that's not going to stop me from watching something. And let, let's be honest. I mean, nothing we saw was you know the first time star trek had done a retcon mm -hmm. yeah you know whether it was klingons whether it was the trills you know star trek has retcon stuff all through its history i feel like the biggest complaint was it just did too much at once yeah there was also a really big gap in time though and so that's you know true and, and so to me that that kind of helps a little bit but yeah for some people that might have made it worse but but to your point, then, trying to course correct to the degree that they did just made it really, really obvious. Mm -hmm. All right, let's talk about the cast, because Joe brought that up before, and that's something we talked about in the first podcast, is like, hey, you know, we know Burnham and Saru and Tilly really well. Who are the rest of the people on this bridge? Because I've got absolutely no oh clue. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, it, it's kind of disappointed me. And, and, you know, these are shorter seasons, you know, that they're doing for this show, which in some ways is helpful because you don't have a lot of filler, but it also, I think, hurts in a way that you can't have an episode just to, like, sort of devote to your more supporting characters. There's that cool character they started to develop and then they killed her. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't yeah, yeah. notice that she had an actress change in between seasons. I didn't even, I didn't know that at all until I watched the interview with the new actress. Yeah, because said, the first yeah, that season, wasn't me like, in the first season. She barely talked in the first season, so nobody noticed. Yeah, no, I didn't realize it was a new actress. Yeah. When, when that actress. episode started, uh, the episode that focused on her, I said, this is really interesting. I hope she doesn't die at the end of the <laughs> Oh, you jinxed it, Joe. I did. Damn it, Joe. <laughs> I ruined it. Oh, man. But, yeah, so that's the thing. It's like... um. 
you know, I mean, we still have bridge crew that we don't know anything about. You know, there's the woman with the, you know, with like the the thing on her 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 head. You know, not the full cyborg look, but the you know the one that just has like the metal like lines running along her skull. And you know, we see her all the time. And and was that Detma? That might be her name. <laughs> the actress. See, was yeah. Why don't right? we 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 know we knew who Sulu and Mr. Scott were, we didn't, we, we don't even know these, na- these names. <laughs> right. And that's the thing. It's like, they look interesting every once in a while they say something. And it's like, you know, I, I would just like to know a little bit more about the bridge crew. I mean, the, the, the flip side of that is we don't get the O'Brien and Keiko episode that no one cares about. <laughs> <laughs> what domestic troubles again? Yeah. <laughs> Have any of you guys ever seen that webcomic, like Lonely O'Brien or something, (laughs) where it's his adventures as the the transporter chief on the Enterprise, and just nobody likes him at all? (laughs) Keiko accidentally calls him trying to reach Riker, setting up a hot date and things like that. (laughs) It's pretty funny. I'll have to try and track it down again, because it's one of those things that I, I... forget about and then i come back to it and then i forget about it again i'll find it and share it with you <laughs> oh no don't do that to my o'brien <laughs> um but uh but yeah so i mean over or we have you know our other characters we've got burnham we've got saru um you know we've got tilly um we've got um Oh God! Why am I blanking on his name? No, that's it. Stamets. That, that's all there is. Well, Stamets. Yeah, yeah, no, no. We got Stamets, and we got um. Oh. Stamets' husband. No, well, well. Hold on, Section Thirty-One, dude. Um, um, Volk. Um, um. Oh, what's his real um, name? <laughs> what's his human name? Uh, I forgot his name for some reason. Michael's T- Tyler. Is it Tyler? T- yes. Tyler. Tyler. Tyler? I I feel Tyler. bad because I met him at Dragon Con. <laughs> 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 um. But yeah, so we have Tyler. So those are kind of our, our cast, right? You know, those are our characters that we're, you know, uh, that, that they're actually developing at least to some degree. Um, we had some changes this season, of course. Um, I guess we'll start with Saru, because I think he had the most... Well, I can't even say that. Um, I was going to say the most obvious change, but no, I don't think that's right either. But I'm going to start with Saru because I like him. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> what what do you guys think about Saru's um, you know uh, uh, arc this season? You know, I, I I don't think we're gonna have time to develop to like going from each one of us for every character, but just you know Saru, you know we learned a lot more about his race. He um, you know lost the uh, ganglia and became a little more assertive. You know, like what what do you think about that and about his character? I was not expecting that that twist actually with the characters. Um... I actually was anticipating that when they lost them, that they were going to turn into the ones who were the slavers. Yeah. But, yes, I was mm-hmm. expecting that too. Um, and I, I mean, in a way, they did, considering the if I'm remembering the plot of that episode correctly. Um, weren't they originally the aggressors? And yes. Then, yeah. Okay. 
I am remembering it correctly. So in a way they did, but I was really expecting it that both of the species were actually the same and not two separate ones. You're, you're thinking the same thing, because I'm trying to think like Star Trek, right? You know, like like things I've seen before, it's going to be like, oh, they think this is another race, but really when they're called, quote unquote, it's actually they're being brought to where the other adults are or whatever. They metamorphose into something new, and and they're, they're sort of the caretakers of the young. Um. So yeah, I was really kind of pleased that that did not at all go the way that I was expecting it to. And I do like the development that he uh, gained from that, where he just, basically, he gained confidence. Yeah, anyone else want to jump in there about Saru? I mean, I think Stephanie said it all. Okay, no, yeah. that's fine. Yeah, no, I, I liked the character of Saru a lot um, last season, and he grew on, well... I, at first, I didn't like him. Then he grew on me, and I was really glad to see him gain a little more, you know, assertiveness um, in this in this season. Okay, so um, let's move on then. Uh, Burnham, of course. Um, we had a whole lot with Burnham and uh, meeting her mother, and you know, um, just. <sighs> I mean, she reconnected with Tyler a little bit, and that whole thing was a little weird. Um, and <laughs> um, you know, and just the whole thing of, of realizing, you know, what was going on with the lights and everything at the end. So how did you how did you feel about the Burnham subplot? Mm. I mean, I wasn't expecting it. I found it amusing how they spent the whole season... She's not the red angel. She's not the red angel. She's not the red angel. Ha <laughs> ha, she is the red angel. So you give us this nice surprise with Saru, but you give us the most predictable one with her. Uh, well, and that's the thing. I mean, in, in a way, it kind of felt like, oh, you're the lights. You know, um, I don't know. I, I felt a little bit disappointed by that revelation. Um Time travel, when it's like, oh, you go back in time and fulfill what you were always supposed to do, never feels as much fun as time travel where you can change things. Yeah. So, you know, I, I just felt more like this was a constraint rather than a liberation. I did really like the initial bluff we got of, it's Burnham, it's Burnham, it's Burnham. Oh, psych, it's her mom. Mm -hmm. And then it's not. Like, yeah, I was uh, pleased when it was her mom, but when they did that, it's not. I was like, oh. Well, the thing yeah. I had a problem with was they were like, it's Burnham's DNA. Oh, no, wait, it's her mom. And I'm like, wait a minute. Even with parents, your DNA isn't the same, okay? I mean, it's like you have half their DNA, but it's not like somebody would like get confused and be like, oh, this is actually somebody else. Even a sibling, it, it wouldn't be that easy to confuse. Right, it, unless it's a twin. Identical yeah. twin would be the only, yeah. So, yeah, that, that part I was kind of like, what? You know, like, they, it seems like they hand-waved that a little bit. But, you know, it is science fiction. But, um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, and so I was kind of curious how you guys felt, but it sounds like you guys were kind of like me, that I just felt a little bit disappointed by that ending revelation there. Um, but I did like the stuff with the flashbacks with young Spock and Burnham coming to live in Sarek's house. Yes. Yeah, that helped me a lot with uh, Burnham's personality mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and with young Spock too I again this is this is I, I really wanted them to <laughs> well when they had kid Spock there I wanted them to show his his cat thing from the animated series but again 
super nerdy. I need to let it go sometimes. Can we not talk of the animated series, please? Oh, Stephanie, you are just proving to have, like, all the same opinions. (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah, see, Stephanie very famously does not like the... I made her watch the animated series, and I don't think she's forgiven me. (laughs) Yeah, you and I are on exactly the same page here, Stephanie. I happily went my life as a Trekkie without... With, like, proudly not seeing the animated series until Nathan decided he was going to include it in the TOS podcast. Did you did you watch it all for that? I finished it within minutes of the podcast starting. <laughs> I oh God! So long. And there's not Why? that much. The, it's only twenty six. Self flagellation. <laughs> that was not necessary. I can go on record as saying I've seen two episodes of it and decided that was enough. I was uh, right. watching it at like three times speed too. <laughs> all right. So, so Anthony, unironically. The first couple of episodes are bad. It actually does get better. There are some actual decent writers that write for it. They're not all bad. <laughs> the saving grace uh, was that the actual voice actors were the actual cast members. Yes. But anyone who wasn't a main cast member sounded like Bob from accounting. No, they were all <laughs> they were all voiced by either James Doohan or um or um um uh, uh, um Major Roddenberry. Yes. They did all so the secondary cut, voices. Their voice is okay. <laughs> Bob but... from accounting. It was Gene. <laughs> <or Rachel. sighs> so I have so... to talk to Bob from accounting every day at work. I prefer <laughs> not to hear that in a TV show. <laughs> All right, so 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 Joe, just just uh, you might not be aware of this. Someone has made a picture. They've taken like one of the scenes from that episode of the animated series, and they've like drawn like a Cybok and a Burnham and included them in Sarek's household. Ah! And so it looks like, <laughs> it, you know, like they were part of that episode in the animated series. So <laughs> I want to see that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, and amidst all of this, all of the young Spock stuff, the fact that they still left the Cybok thing unanswered. Hey, you know, whatever, but, Come on, guys. <laughs> I guess he was living with his mom, not with Sarek. Yeah, well, I will say the novelization for Star Trek V, which I actually read. Long story and why I read it, but I was nine when I read it. Um, the actually explains that Cybok's mom was like one of the Vulcans that like goes for like completely separating themselves from everyone and living a completely logical life, so she wouldn't even accept him as her son because yeah. that would require some sort of emotional connection, which is why he goes yeah. so crazy the other way. Um, so yeah, blow it at your butt, Cybok. I don't know how canonical that is, but. Alright, so he clearly wasn't living with his mother. Right. But, uh, yeah, so Burnham and and the Spock thing, what I liked about that was the idea that Sarek refused to let Spock embrace any of that humanity. So Amanda almost, like, poured her, like, feelings into Burnham. You have the whole thing with her reading to Burnham and everything, and Spock just kind of watching from the doorway. Yeah. And that's, like, such a great way of explaining, like, so much of, like, Spock's issues that he had in the original series, you know, that... Like, jeez. Right. (laughs) So that was one of the cases of where I feel like they used continuity really well. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. 
And it added to why Spock has always been so secretive about his family. Because clearly we're seeing that it was a little dysfunctional in his household. Yeah. <laughs> Just a tiny bit. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, this whole thing where he feels like he has to be you know, like, completely Vulcan and just purge all humanity, even though he's half-human. It's like, and they never really got too deep into that in the series. It was just a thing that he dealt with, and I liked them kind of giving reason for that. And we talked last season about how the episode that used continuity best was the one where it talked about how Burnham wanted to be stationed on that Vulcan science ship, and, you know, uh, Sarek was told he could only have one of his kids do it, and he picked Spock, which explains why in Journey to Babel, in the original Star Trek, Sarek was so mad at Spock for not taking the Vulcan science ship, and it was like, oh my god, that was such a great way of explaining something, you know, in the original series. And so I like it when they do stuff like that, when they pick on those threads that never really got a whole lot of, you know, development, and and and, and explaining that. So um, uh, that's that's where, that's why I say, like, you know, things like, uh, you know, like doing something, uh, changing things around a little bit is okay, but the right way to use continuity isn't just for references. It's to explain something and make it me more meaningful. Um, and so uh, I like that. Um, so let's talk about um, Tyler, um, because he's had so much development. <laughs> I'm sorry, Joe? No, uh, that, was my, that was my whole comment about Tyler. Ugh. Oh. <laughs> I, I I didn't care for I, I thought yay he's with his Klingon sweetie pie okay mm -hmm. no he's not oh yay they've got a baby what no now they don't it's uh, yeah yeah, I, I was hoping to see more of again of, of Tyler bridging those two worlds you know, like what, you know, what you're talking about and being like this sort of almost like ambassador for humanity within the Klingon empire. And yeah, we only get that for a couple of episodes. And, you know, then we do this whole section 31 thing, um, which and that didn't last either. I think a lot of writers nowadays, because, of course, section 31 also appeared in the movies that J.J. Abrams did. I think a lot of them feel like they have to to make Star Trek more relevant, like make Section 31 a far more prominent thing than it ever was in, in you know, Star Trek. I mean, it was invented in DS9, um, you know, and it, we, that's why we're seeing a lot of this sort of Section 31 stuff. I, I honestly would have been happier to have Tyler just being the Klingon li liaison kind of guy and keeping him there. I don't know that I really needed him. Other than that, they wanted someone to connect with section 31 because they're sort of responsible for our main villain for the season. Um, but I don't know. How did it I think Giorgio in section 31 is perfect? Yes. Though. Oh no, no, that is true. Yes. Uh, that I think would have been fine to have as the connection and we didn't need anything else, but mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, um, so Joe, you, you've put, made your feelings known. Anthony, how do you feel about Tyler this season? Uh, I mean, I, I felt <laughs> like he Same had, <laughs> <laughs> they gave him pretty good closure at the end of season one. You know, I, I don't think there was a huge necessity to bring him back. I, I, I always liked the character. I liked the dual nature of him. But, you know, if you're going to give a character an end to their story, end their damn story. 
Like, don't just bring them back because, <laughs> hey, we can. Yeah. that that you know, When we talked about season one last time, we kind of said that Tyler was one of the most interesting characters in season one because of the whole switch of, you know, him realizing that he's really Vogue and what they did with that. But that was the thing. It sort of culminated at the end of it. You know, and so it, it felt like all the stuff they did with him this season was going too far. And I think the only reason they did it is that they knew they wanted to do this Section 31 spinoff that they're working on. And he's going to be the star or one of the stars of that. So I think that's all. I think that's the whole reason we got so much Tyler. Yeah. Now, I, I did like them bringing back Section 31. I felt like they made, as an organization, they made us a little too mainstream. Yeah, it's like, oh, you've got the Section 31 insignia. And I'm like, wait, this is, I thought Section 31 was supposed to be like this thing that nobody knows about. Like only like the top admirals know it even exists. You know, it was highly secretive in Enterprise. It's highly mm. secretive in Deep Space Nine. So sometime in the timeline between them, it <laughs> comes way into the open before going way back on. It, it just that didn't make much sense to me. Yeah, it's only out in the open on Discovery, which now becomes a Section 31 secret but pike even was like pike was even like hey section 31 like this is something he deals with all the time and i'm just like really yeah (laughs) i just interpret it as a real quick thorn in his side Mm. okay fair enough Uh, but even the thing of like oh yeah i recognize the insignia it's a section 31 insignia i I just i don't know it felt a bit much i feel that was that was more for the viewers, but they did stress it a little too much. Yeah, um, I'm hoping, although I haven't heard, that Michelle Yao is also in the Section 31 show because she's been a standout part of these two seasons. If she's oh, not, that's a crime against Star Trek. I was going to say, I thought she was. Well, I don't. I, I actually don't really know that much about it other than that I've heard that they're, that they're developing a series. Got um, it. Because, like, even when I talk to Shazam, uh, uh, whatever the name for Tyler's actual actor is, I'm sorry again. Uh, uh, Shazad Latif. The Shazad Latif. Okay, that's 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 what I thought it was. Um, he uh, he mentioned that it was, you know, like, uh, he's he's waiting for them to, like, say, like, when they're going to start filming. And so then it was like, oh, okay, so you're in the Section 31. Because I, I wasn't even sure that he was in it. So, you know, um, yeah, I just haven't heard that much about it. Um, but, yeah. uh, yeah, um, I love, I love Burnham's relationship with Giorgio, um, even though it's not really her Giorgio, but they just have this nice, you know, antagonistic rapport, <laughs> 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 but it's, they, they, they really care about each other and it's just like, oh, <laughs> it's a new Q and Picard. <laughs> uh, Almost. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing can replicate Q and Picard, though, no, really. No, can't. But, but yeah, it's sim- more similar to that than most Star Trek relationships, sure. Um, and um, let's see. So, uh, Tilly. I love Tilly. <laughs> oh, gosh, Tilly's wonderful. <laughs> Tilly and Killy, they're both awesome. Oh, Killy. Oh, God, when she was in the Mirror Universe, that is my favorite version of Tilly. <laughs> So, <laughs> I still love her regardless of if we're in the Empire or not. Slightly off topic, I did see a wonderful Killy cosplayer at Dragon Con. Oh, Dang awesome. It. She looked awesome. <laughs> oh, I was at Zenkai Con earlier this year, which is a little an anime con out in Amish country, believe it or not. Uh, Wait, what now? 
Yeah, it's in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Um, okay. But yeah, there was a, a Tilly, just a regular Tilly, but she was walking past. And I, I work for a cosplay photo booth at conventions. And I saw her. I yelled, oh, my God, Tilly. And she turned and she squealed. And she's like, you recognize me. Yay. To be fair, she was at an anime cost, uh, 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 con wearing a non-anime costume. So. Well, that's awesome. Not really all that uncommon these days, but uh, but um, I can understand why people maybe didn't recognize her. Yeah. So I, I'm still amazed that Mary Wiseman is 34 and Tilly's meant to be what like 20. Like there's a huge age gap between the actress's actual age and the age of the character, and yet she can pull that off. Mm-hmm. She has this wonderful. She can portray this wonderful kind of youth and naiveness and. Uh, I just love it. She's I wonderful. She's um, fantastic. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I have I have a minor crush on Tilly. Okay. Oh, I do too. <laughs> and I liked her um, her new best friend, the princess of uh-huh. that. Uh, I, I thought she was great too. And Tilly just makes everybody better. Yeah. So did, did all of you watch the little short tracks that they did? I did yes. not watch all of them. I missed one of them. Hmm. And the one I missed is the one you already referenced. Oh, okay. Yeah, because because um, they you know they developed the whole idea of Tilly and the princess in one of the short tracks, and, yes. and, and and so I think that's interesting that they're doing these like little vignettes to sort of like be like we don't want to devote an episode to this stuff, and that's why I think the mud thing is going to come back next season because we didn't see that one develop this season, but you know like we we don't want to devote a whole episode to these ideas, but these are just like things that are happening in the universe that we're going to pull from later. And, uh, and, and so I appreciate that. But yeah, like, if they had devoted a whole episode to, like, Tilly meeting the princess, that would have, you know, bogged things down a bit. So um, I, I, I like that they're doing those short tracks. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's the, the real advantage of putting this out on a streaming service rather than on a network. Mm-hmm. You know, they can play around with the format. They can do these little vignettes to introduce these subplots that don't really work in a full episode mm-hmm. um so i'm kind of excited to see what else they do with that but it's it's kind of interesting how they merge those storylines between a a little vignette and, and an actual episode of the show mm-hmm. yeah yeah but yeah i mean tilly brings an optimism to the show that I feel like is important because it does tend to be a bit darker, you know. And she is the typical Starfleet officer that we're used to. Well, in attitude, maybe not in in yeah. in her performance, <laughs> but yes, yes, she she's her outlook. I should say not not attitude is is very much the the typical Star Trek um kind of character she's very optimistic and you need that because if everybody if everybody's like that then you get into just oh why am i watching this because it's so depressing and everyone's depressed (laughs) if if i curse on this podcast is it going to get cut uh yes Uh, okay never mind (laughs) it'll be me all the time (laughs) just Tilly is just so effing cool yeah and she got to say the first effing f in star trek Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, awesome. That's, that's yeah. It was in the first season. Um, 
But, uh, yeah, and so let's go on to Stamets. I am going to be probably a little um, controversial here and say I do not like that they brought back you. Um, I hate when people bring back characters from the dead. It's why I don't read comics anymore. <laughs> that trope annoys me yeah. to no end. And I felt like progressing his character forward you know, uh, from that point of dealing with, you know, loss would have been more interesting than the whole, oh, by the way, here's our get out of jail free card and we can just, you know, pull him out of the mycelial network for reasons, you know, was, and they could have even kept the actor and had him continue to appear to him in visions or whatever, like he did in the first season. And that would have been fine. But, you know, I felt like the whole thing of we can go into the mycelial network and he was reconstituted there and all that. I just kind of like, really? <laughs> that was, that was a lot I had to rewind the explanation mm -hmm. <laughs> a few times to, to get a hold of it. And now, in, in my mind, back in season one, I regretted him being killed off in the first place. Yeah. That, that seemed hackneyed. It seemed like, of course, they're a happy couple. One of them has to die. I the Whedon philosophy. That would happen, and it mm -hmm. did. And then having him come back to life, okay, great. A after the complicated way they did it, uh, once he's back to life, then, of course, they're still not happy. Why not? Well, so anyway, I, my, my point is that that subplot I felt to be unnecessary. Yeah. Stamets yeah. had a huge amount of stuff to do in season one. Less so in season two, and it, Hugh didn't help. He, Hugh was more of a distraction this season. Well, and they introduced that new character who I thought was going to be the new Doctor, which was that engineer that was forced to learn to be like Medic on that one planet. And I love her. <laughs> Oh, she's great. <laughs> yeah, more of her. I wanted more of her because she, you know, it just seemed like she was this, you know, going to try like these weird methods to heal people and be like, oh, I can like fix it with like, you know, <laughs> by, by cross patching all this technical crap together and just, you know, uh, uh, you know, um, you know, insert it into somebody and do stuff like that. I just wanted to see her just kind of jury rigging medical crap. And we never really got that with her. And I was kind of disappointed that we didn't uh, go forward <laughs> that way. Before we, we go too deeply into her, I, I did just kind of want to talk about Stamets and, and Hugh in that I feel like they almost felt that killing him off was a mistake. I remember at the time, yeah. you, you yeah, know, there's, yeah. there's, there's the trope of fridging. Exactly, yes. Exactly. And it's almost like, oh my God, we've, we've fridged this character. We must, exactly. we must find a way to bring him back. And I mean, if, if you're not just going to kill someone off and, and keep them killed, just don't do it. That's my point. Is it's like, yeah, I think it was a mistake to kill him off last season, but once he's dead, move forward, don't move back. It's it's almost like the producers of the show repeatedly, I mean, we talked about this in terms of some of the retcons, have an issue of standing their ground. You know, they make a decision and they don't stick by it once fan criticism starts to come in. And that's my that's my worry moving forward into next season is I don't want them to be beholden to the fans. You know, because a lot of times fans think they want something 
but that's not really, you know, it's, but what they want isn't really that. And they don't know it until they see it, you know. Sometimes we are wrong. Right. <laughs> and sometimes it's, it's short-term thinking versus long-term thinking. A lot of times fans are thinking short-term, you know, and, and the producers or the writers, they have sort of a long-term vision for the series. Right. And so, like, season one, I was not happy with season one in the beginning. By the end of the season, I was happy with the show, and I understood the, the vision they had had for it. But if somebody had listened to me in season one, we wouldn't have gotten the ending that we got, because I would have been like, no, 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 you're doing this wrong. And, you Ex- know, sorry. I was going to say exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, I, uh, did anyone else have any thoughts about Stamets and Hugh? Pretty much the exact same thing that's already been reiterated that, you know, I thought it was upsetting and disappointing that they killed him, but then they just brought him back in a way that was just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Could it have been more complicated? (laughs) yeah it's like the most convoluted way to bring someone back don't always have an issue with fake deaths um sometimes they can serve a purpose but this one definitely seemed like they wanted to kill him off and then they changed their mind after the fact if it's designed with a purpose it's more uh acceptable as a story thing than what it seemed like with hugh Exactly. Uh, I agree with that. It's one of those things where it's like, like with everything, like there's exceptions. And when they're done really well, it's fine. And also if it's something that's pre-planned from the beginning, a lot of times it can be done better because the writers have already put their, you know, if they've already introduced the MacGuffin that's going to cause the person to get, sometimes it can be better that way. But this feels like they were just trying to do a course correction because people complained and uh you know i i it, it didn't satisfy it didn't feel satisfactory to me from a plot perspective so uh the last thing i want to talk about before we talk about next season is you know we talked about that um this season it was really a struggle against an intelligent ai you know as the uh as the as the villain for the season so how do you feel that that worked i mean that's that's a trope that we see in a lot of things i mean terminator is probably the biggest one which is why which is why i named this episode you know judgment day um how do you feel like uh, discovery utilized that concept and uh you know how did that work as sort of the antagonist for the season i mean i feel it's topical you know it feels like every couple of weeks there's an article somewhere about the advances in ai that we're making in real life right now and the prospect that it might someday run a mark which i mean to me seems like very kind of worst case scenario thinking but sure it's only going to run a muck because it's going to read all of our literature and realize that's what we expect it to do <laughs> oh well you, did you hear about the ai that read like all of twitter and became like a like a racist yeah, yes. <laughs> so you know it's it's worrisome you know like what how will how would a a learning program you know uh develop based on what we allowed it to you know take in basically what you're telling me is discovery wasn't accurate because control didn't become a member of the (laughs) alt-right right yes Yeah, so so Stephanie mentioned the the whole idea of control becoming the Borg, and it's an idea I heard other people say. Were either of you guys expecting that, Joe or or Anthony? It felt like that was where they were going. 
Yeah, mm. and then for it to go nowhere. Yeah, it was yeah. a letdown almost <laughs> that they they went through such a intricate plot to prevent all of this from happening, and they just succeeded. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. because, I mean, we have time travel and we have this program. It would have been really easy for, like, one drone with the control program on it to get, like, sucked into a time warp and and then end up somewhere else. And you could say that's the origin of the Borg, you know, right there. It ends up in some other part of space, you know, a hundred years ago or whatever, and, and the Borg start developing from there or something. And it would have kind of been interesting that the Borg ultimately was created by Starfleet. I really did yeah. think that's where they were going. Yeah, it, it could have been a fantastic way to spin the whole series even, but mm. I mean, as as you said earlier though, I mean, they could have a much better plot in mind. Um, who knows where they're going to go with it. Mm-hmm. I, I just still would have liked to have seen more with that AI becoming something and I... I would be surprised if the Borg weren't at all an inspiration to any of that plot. Yeah. Well, I mean, we even had the fusion of control and human, you know, like when it would like actually plug into people. And that's people. just what made me think even more that this is where it was going. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it looked no. like the, the Borg nanite tubules. Yeah. I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my problem with it is the same problem I have a lot of times with this concept, especially in a society like the society of Star Trek that is so computerized, that thing should have been way more powerful than we ever saw it being. You know, like, we only ever saw it, like, control, like, certain chips or whatever. I'm like, like, all of Starfleet should now be control. I mean, like, what's preventing it? It's all computerized, you know, and if it's thinking faster than anyone can, like, create defenses for it, you know... The, the whole idea that, you know, they ha- basically have a traditional battle of just, you know, our starships versus its starships, you know, at the end and not like, oh, crap, the Enterprise is now compromised and controlled and, you know, all that kind of stuff is, I don't know. I just felt like the AI villains are never shown as powerful as they would be. Um, I, I had the same problem with the uh, Avengers, um, the second Avengers movie where uh, age of Ultron where you know Ultron I felt like but then at least with that they gave an explanation that Vision's also in the internet and he was stop you know Jarvis was stopping you know Ultron from getting you know anywhere and so I was like okay that makes some sense because otherwise Ultron should be like in every computer and there'd be no way for them to do anything so um yeah that was kind of my issue with it I liked a lot of the journey and i liked a lot of you know the stuff that they were doing but every time i thought about the fact that this is an intelligent ai i was just like it should be able to do so much more (laughs) maybe it wasn't all that smart (laughs) (laughs) it was a dumb ai (laughs) it was an overconfident ai yeah that's true i mean the the worst part was actually when it took over the actual crew member you know, because that actually got into, like... Because they, they did finally give her a personality and give her some relationships. Oh, that was the most frustrating <laughs> thing. They finally give this character some background, right. and... But, I, I, don't want, I don't want to start echoing Joe here, but did they really have to kill her off the same episode? Well, Joe just had to say, I hope they don't kill her when watching that episode. Yeah, clearly, it's it's my fault. Damn it, it totally is. <laughs> 
<laughs> did, did you, you not set realize? yourself up to be the scapegoat? I mean, but even though it was obvious, that was the most emotion I think we got out of control because we care we cared about the character at that point. Mm-hmm. That's true. You know, and her fight with you know Michael, like, and Michael not really wanting to fight her was you know powerful you know i mean it it was moving you know but yeah i mean a lot of the rest of it was just you know here's our excuse for more space battles which is fine but i felt like an ai could do a lot more right but i did like that the idea that they did capitalize on the idea of hey if we have a cyborg character an ai can be a really dangerous thing so let's talk about season three so as we have already alluded to there's going to be a time jump um, a thousand years into the future, which puts them beyond anything Star Trek has done, uh, before, um, which I think gives them kind of an open slate on, you know, like what they're going to do. So what do you think about, um, you know, the, the potential for that? Are you disappointed with that? I know, Joe, you mentioned a little bit about being disappointed with that move. Um, do you think there's anything good that can come from that? Well, I think that they are going to be free of of course, I don't think, I know, clearly they're going to be free of having to apply any prior continuity to what they're doing now. This is uncharted territory. Undiscovered country, if you will. <laughs> um, but I, I feel like, was this where they wanted to be at first anyway? Do you think maybe them going a thousand years in the future might have been the original intent of Star Trek Discovery in the first place? I they, don't they, think so. They, they just took two years to get there because a lot of times, and we've discussed this already, a lot of times they've been hamstrung by previous continuity, and now they don't have that. Mm -hmm. But at the same I time, maybe they're... And this is a whole other podcast, but if you get away from Star Trek continuity... How Star Trekky is it? With uh, like, like for example, uh, um, Agents of Shield doesn't tie into the movies anymore. So, again, this is a whole other podcast. So, why even call it Marvel's Agents of Shield? It's not anyway. But, but th that's that's my my same feeling with mm -hmm. them going a thousand years in the future. What makes it Star Trek now? Is there even going to be? A federation, and of course, I'm sure there will be ties between the thousand year future and the past. Of course, there will be, mm -hmm. but I'm dubious about them 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 having such an open canvas when they've struggled in some ways with having a tiny box to fit in, mm -hmm. <laughs> maybe giving them too much freedom. Might, might be a, a bad thing. So my, my train of thought on this is they've spent two years listening to a good proportion of fandom complaining about how this should have been set post-Voyager. And they've got to a point going, well, screw you guys. We're going to set this so far past Voyager, you can't complain anymore. Yeah, we'll show you. <laughs> I think that was the reason, and I agree that in the beginning, I would have preferred if it was just... Because if you had just called the Klingons anything else and just introduced this new race, that this is what they look like, this is what they sound like, it, it, there would have been no issues because you could have the technology look like whatever it is. Also, you know, All the issues would have gone away with that. But... Yeah, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that this change is 
just because that they're trying to address the the fan concern. I am kind of hopeful on it, but I want to hear what what Stephanie thinks about it before before I give my two cents. Well, now that we're actually going to have a post Voyager season with Picard or post Voyager, uh, mm. let me just say that whole phrase over. Now that we're actually going to have a post Voyager series with Picard, they'll be able to create all sorts of new continuity errors by setting this after that. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> but how do you feel about them moving Discovery for... Oh, and just um, as an aside, uh, basically... So here's what Discovery was originally thought of. So when Brian Fuller was the showrunner, his idea was each it was going to be an anthology show, and each season was going to be something completely different. They obviously didn't go that route, and, you know, a lot of times, you know, producers don't like that idea because then you have to recast and hold new show and wants to keep viewers from one season to the next. So Build that, new sets every season. Right, exactly. So that idea went out the window. So, yeah, I don't think this is at all, you know, where anyone thought this was going. But, yeah, so, Stephanie, what do you think about the, the move? Well, as much as I like anthologies, I'm glad that it actually didn't go that route. Mm. Um, I mean, like I said earlier, I thought they were going to do this time jump at the end of the last season. Um, and I was dead set that's what was going to happen right up until they bumped into the Enterprise. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, well... I guess I was wrong. <laughs> so I think it might have been something that they maybe. No, they probably didn't toy with it at all because they did bump into the Enterprise before the season technically ended. If it had ended on that kind of open end, maybe it would have been something that they were toying with the idea of maybe doing. But as I talk my thought out here, I'm realizing I agree with my initial thought less and less. So. Yeah, I think it's probably just their ultimate retcon, where they're just going to hop away in the future and say cry about it. <laughs> Here's my thinking on what they're going to do. And, and you know, I mean, obviously this is with no information about where they're going or what they're thinking about or whatever, but... I guess if it was me writing the next season or being the showrunner for the next season, my thinking would be they jump far into the future and the Federation doesn't exist anymore. And the idea would be that Discovery brings the ideals of the Federation to a future that has lost them. I think that's quite likely. And that would actually be a really good mirror for the first season, which a lot of people complained wasn't very Federation-like. Um... Yeah, I mean, that all became very clear once we hopped into the Mirror Universe and we realized why uh, it was not very Federation-like. But that would definitely be a really nice uh, parallel to that story, actually. Yeah. I mean, that's... that's Because I think there's a lot of interesting places you could go to that, going into a future where the Federation fell apart. And for whatever races exist in that time period, you know, they're not getting along, they're having wars, they're doing whatever, you know... They're struggling, and for Discovery to come forward, and for them to, you know, basically be like, this is this is why these ideals work, you know, and for them to sort of, you know, spread that throughout the throughout the galaxy, um, and for them to encounter whatever struggles and fights and whatever that come along the way, because that that shouldn't be an easy task, and I don't think even one season should wrap that up. But I think that'd be cool to see a struggle like that of maintaining the Federation ideals in a world that's working against you doing that. Or in a time period that's against you doing that because of just all the problems that they have. Um, but uh, I guess my final question then, 
who should captain the Discovery? Should it be Michael? Should it be Saru? Should it be a new character so that neither one of them gets to be captain? You know, because, I mean, one of the things that they, they said about this show when it first came out is this is the first time we're doing a Star Trek show where the main character isn't the captain. And I'm not sure how true that is because it depends on who you define as the main character. And a lot of the Star Trek shows haven't really had, you know, a main, main character. Um, but, you know, that was one of the things that they always build this as. So what are you guys' thoughts about, like, you know, who should be the captain of the Discovery? Put me in a uniform and I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like Saru has really gotten cheated out of command a few times already, and it's only season two. It's If he doesn't get a command, it's going to be like Harry Kim remaining ensign forever. <laughs> I, I actually do agree with that in seriousness. I think it's it's time for Saru to step up. How about you, Joe? Do you agree with that, or do you think somebody else should be captain? I feel like it's got to be Jet Reno. She's <laughs> the most capable of anything. She's my favorite. Um, I, I, I love Tilly, but Jet Reno was like my voice <laughs> yeah. in every scene in season two. Yeah, no, I, I got to agree with everybody else. It's, it's Saru, I think, is the most deserving. Um, and since they didn't bring in number one to be the captain, I don't really feel like they need to maintain the status quo. It might even be the reason why they had Saru go through that change so that he would be more assertive. Um, just so that he, cause you know, when you think about the fact that he, he came from a very passive race and they were always afraid and everything that would have been hard to make him the captain and, you know, with that baggage, but they've kind of freed him from that. And so I, I, I would like to see captain Saru. So yeah, uh, we're going a bit long here and we're coming to the end. Is there anything you wanted to talk about that we didn't talk about? Um, Anthony. Uh, I think we covered most of the main points. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I think we covered uh, the original series crew, or at least the original, mm -hmm. original series crew. We covered the direction of the show, the retcons, and the possible future. I think for me, we, we hit the key points. All right, Joe, is there anything you wanted us to talk about we didn't talk about? Um, I managed to squeeze in, and I'd forgotten about it till just now. I wanted to talk about Jet Reno, but <laughs> I did, so... No, I, I, I dig her, and I'm glad she made the jump to the thousand years in the future. So mm -hmm. I agree so, with that a lot. I loved her character, yes. too. I was Me worried three. she was going to be one that died because I liked her a lot. <laughs> Don't like anybody. That's the secret. <laughs> then they'll live. Well, I, did, I, I didn't expect her to die or say it out loud, so she didn't. Yeah. Ah, good job, Joe. You're learning. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Stephanie, was there anything else you wanted to mention that we uh, didn't talk about? Oh, how beautiful was the Enterprise? Oh <laughs> yes. But the Enterprise is always beautiful. Oh, it's but just she a good was design. Just, <laughs> she really kicked it up a notch for this one, and just oh, I wish that's how it looked in the Abrams movies, because that is a beautiful beautiful enterprise yes. and those uniforms oh <laughs> you oh. worked in the uniforms again yeah all right so here's the thing i don't mind that the panels look slicker and more in high tech i don't mind that they put the door at you know more towards the front of the bridge because it was always supposed to be there and just the camera never panned that way um the hallway in the back of the bridge though bothered me <laughs> 
<laughs> because I'm like, there weren't ways of getting around like that in the old... <laughs> I don't know. It's just one of those things that was just a little nitpicky on my part that I was just like, I don't like those, you know, because that wasn't there. <laughs> so... Eh. I, I yeah. absolutely love the whole look that they applied to anything TOS related. And, and that's I why like... that's see just what you said right there is why I don't really want to say goodbye to this era again. Mm-hmm. Like we like we keep having to do. <laughs> well, there are rumors. Well, well, first of all, we know there's going to be the Section 31 series that's set in this era, so we could still see Pike and them guest starring in that and show. And they did say that that's going to be the new uniform. Discovery was in the war uniform still. Yeah. But so. but there's also been rumors that because of the huge popularity of, you know, the original crew, you know, you know, Pike and, and number one and Spock, of them developing a another spinoff to for them. Now that's 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 total rumor. There's been no official confirmation, but that is something that I have seen on the internet. So that that said, yeah. haven't we haven't we already had confirmation that we will get a couple of short tracks with Pike and Number One? Yes, I believe that I did see that. So yes. they're keeping the uniforms in storage. They're probably keeping the Enterprise sets in storage. Mm. Is it really yeah, worth I'm, doing I'm, that I'm for a couple of short tracks? Yeah. I mean that, or is there something else on the horizon they haven't said yet? Right, and that could well be, and they just don't want to announce it until everything's come together and they're one hundred percent sure. Oh, if I get to see more of that Enterprise and more of those uniforms, <laughs> I will be a very, very happy fan girl. Well, it's nice because, like Joe said, it's nice to just like have this era and just go for the exploration because Discovery was never really about exploration; it was a war story, yeah, no, it was right? Not. And <laughs> I mean, truly, it doesn't even need to be the Enterprise. It just needs to be something that is using those aesthetics. Because that is just, like, that is my favorite Star Trek aesthetic. And it is, like, a little subcategory hidden within Discovery. And, (laughs) oh, it's frustrating we don't see it more. Yeah. I'm way too passionate about this. <laughs> but if they, there is nothing wrong with that. If they use it though, they're they, going to do they, it for a, a start, you know, with Enterprise and with Pike because yeah. just because of the popularity. Because yeah, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say anything negative about Pike. No, he was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I've heard people say like, you know, like just like me, they had some issues with Spock just because, <laughs> and you know. But but yeah, I think everyone is a hundred percent on board with Anson Mount as Pike. So yeah, I say bring it on. You know, and frankly, I'd like more of a reason to pay for CBS All Access because <laughs> for just one show, it's not really, you know, I, I'll, I'll pay for it for a month, you know, watch the current season of, of Discovery and then I drop it because it's not worth paying for it, you know, for anything. Excuse me, it, they have the entire run of Happy Days. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Just give me a Star Trek network and I'll pay right. for that. <laughs> I mean, I, 15 I think... to 45 seasons of NCIS on there. So, <laughs> That's true. so in, in all seriousness, I think they are striving to have a new Star Trek show almost all year mm-hmm. round. Between I'm down for that, yeah. Discovery, Picard, Lower Decks, ex, uh, Section 31, etc. Mm-hmm. I, I think that that's what they're aiming for because they know 
they know that we will pay. Well, that's the thing. That. I mean, it's like, yeah. I mean, Star Trek, I will find a way to consume Star Trek. So, you know, that's that that's the smartest thing they can do because frankly i'm not all that you know i would have maybe been intrigued by the new twilight zone but everything i heard about it was negative so it's kind of like okay i can give that a miss and you know only joe is paying for 15 seasons of ncis <laughs> no my mom is too oh. <laughs> oh, there yeah. are two of you joe me, me 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 and your mom get together every wednesday it's, it's great <laughs> oh man yeah, but yeah, that's oh god. If I, if we had had time for a five minute controversy, I was going to talk about the Peacock Network. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have heard. That's NBC's now having their their own. I just heard we're uh, getting another yeah. Battlestar Galactica. Yes, yes. I would say I uh, won't watch that, but I'm lying. But yeah, we will. <laughs> Look, <laughs> we already had a dark and gritty. I'm hoping for a campy one again. Yeah, now yeah, so one the other way. Or one that can't quite make up its mind and like the British show Blake Seven oscillates wildly between absurdly dark and absurdly oh camp. I think oh, I want oh, that now. Anthony, that would be hilarious. Anthony, Anthony, we had that show. It was called Firefly and it lasted like fourteen oh, episodes. Firefly, how I miss you. <laughs> uh, I All right, Anthony, eight episodes and a movie. Anthony, since you're like the only person I know who's seen Blake Seven besides me, we got to do a Blake Seven podcast I am at some so point. So bad for this. <laughs> but anyway. Um, yeah, and it inspired a lot of people to make American shows that don't even realize that they were inspired by Blake Seven. But oh, well. right. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, thank you guys for being on the show today. And now um, let's say goodbye and let people know where they can find us online. So uh, why don't we start with you, Stephanie? All right. Well, you can find me typically on Twitter, um, where I'm usually either posting random Sailor Moon stuff or about my writing. Um, and I am. At Alcrea, that's A-L-K-R-E-A. Um, if you're interested in a little bit more cosplay-related stuff, the photo booth that I mentioned earlier is DCM Cosplay, and I am the social media manager for that. You can find us as at DCM Cosplay on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. And we put up uh, masquerade footage or cosplay contest footage from all the cons we go to also in in the fancy smancy what is it uh 4k 60 frames per second which is really overkill but hey we do it anyways uh on youtube at dcm all right and uh anthony why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you okay i can be found on uh at the watches in the fourth dimension podcast we are on apple Podcasts, stitcher spotify iHeartRadio, basically most of the main um podcasting apps and uh, you can also find us on facebook instagram and twitter uh watches 4d is our common handle and uh yeah that's basically where you can find me these days all right and joe why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you uh you can find me every labor day weekend sometimes with nathan at dragon <laughs> con and um I just met you guys, but you guys are welcome too. <laughs> um, at at the American Sci-Fi Classics Track uh, in the Atlanta Marriott Marquis, but online all year round at facebook.com/groups 
slash American Sci-Fi Classics, where we talk about this kind of stuff all the time. And I'm also, uh, Classic Track is also on Instagram at Sci-Fi Classic Track. And I personally am on Instagram, the Instagrams and the Twitters at Yojo Crow. Yeah, I have to say that while I did panels with a lot of tracks at Dragon Con, Sci-Fi Classics is where my heart is. Thank you, sir. You're I, welcome. I appreciate that. No problem. All right. So, yeah, again, uh, Stephanie, uh, Joe, Anthony, this was a lot of fun. And thank you so much for being on. Glad we finally got to record it. And that's it for Discovery Season 2. So what did you think? Did you like our topic? Do you like our guests? Did you like what we talked about? Do you think we can improve in some way? If you have any thoughts about that, you should get in touch with me. And there's so many different ways to contact me. One way is to email everything at 42cast.com. Another one is to go to Twitter and tweet at 42cast. Another is to go to Facebook at facebook.com slash 42cast. Another way is to go to the website at 42cast.com. Or, of course, you can leave reviews on Stitcher Radio or iTunes. I always want to hear feedback. I always want to know what people are thinking. Definitely drop me a line. I prefer email of all the different sources just because I feel like that gives more room or it's easier to give better, you know, longer descriptions. But if you just want to dash off a sentence or two, then you can pretty much do it on any of those forums that I listed. So, yeah, give us a shout. Let us know what you think and we'll do what we can to incorporate your ideas. Second off, I want to make sure that everyone's aware of the ESO Patreon. It's a way where you can give money to help keep all of the shows on the ESO Network going. That's at patreon.com slash ESO Network. And you do get various rewards for different tiers depending on the amount of money that you pledge. And so you do get access to exclusive episodes uh, as one of the things that you can get. And there is an episode of the 42 cast on there, so you can check that out. Well, that's it for this week. Join us back next week when Pedro Pascal will not be joining us. And until then, this is Nathan signing off. You have been listening to the 42 cast copyright 2020. Got a question for the ultimate answer? Contact us at everything at 42cast.com. Theme music is Sharper Swords by Brandon Ellis. Check out more of his work at www.cityfires.com. The 42cast is a proud member of the ESO Network. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.